Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 307, Social Justice Warrior in Training. Recorded October 22nd, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel. And joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Oxygenier Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Howdy. Oh. <laughs> that was short, Seth. You caught me off guard, man. Hey, don't crash the car. We hear geeks. Yeah, and it, not only was it short, but it was vaguely autistic because he was looking away from the camera. It's like refusing to make eye contact. I'm trying to multitask here <laughs> and come up with my Cess link while the opening of the show because I spent too long uh, amassing news stories. Oh, silly rabbit. News stories are for other shows. <laughs> um, well, I just got back from a whirlwind trip to the beach, uh, which if you live in San Diego is not a big deal. If you live in North Georgia, it's an 11-hour round trip. Uh, so, But my, my oldest daughter, uh, earlier in the week, she turned 15, and for her birthday present, she wanted to take a family trip to the beach. And uh, maybe not the closest, but one of the closest beaches to us is uh, called St. Simon Islands. It's a, There's a, a chain of very small islands, like six miles across type islands. Um, uh, and they're only islands in the fact that they're not directly connected to land. There's marshland between them. So um, you could get to them with a flat bottom boat. But because you have to go across a bridge, technically they're islands. Uh, but anyway, in the South Georgia, Georgia coast, we went to St. Simon's Island, spent a day at the beach, uh, spent a day in the shops. Um, I mean, we, we got there. It's the same day. <laughs> so we, we the kids got out of school. We hightailed it out, got there just in time to go to bed. Um, cause it's about a five and a half hour drive. Um, and then Saturday did the touristy beachy stuff. And then this morning, uh, did a little bit more touristy stuff and then drove back and I, we were start recording at seven thirty PM, uh, local time. I usually get up here about seven to start setting up, but we rolled in at like six forty. Um, so I am completely unprepared, but I am tan except for where I was wearing a hat and, I've got the, what is that, farmer tan, I guess. Uh, but anyway, had a good time. Uh, so I just, I say all that to say uh, I'm not prepared, and that's why. Yeah, but you know, I mean, here's the thing. We're really never prepared, so it's okay. Well, the thing is, we're often very prepared for the thing that we don't do. That's kind of how that works out. Right. Yeah. Um, I did want to, I'm. So we'll be really prepared today. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And and you, if you're watching the video, um, all six of you that usually do that, you'll notice that Miles' background has changed. Uh, he is beta testing uh, some super secret government um, equipment, and so he needed to be outside to do it. Yeah, I'm actually preparing to do a bit of traveling, so I thought rather than uh, trying to carry a recording studio with me on carry-on luggage, I'll I'll buy one of these Audio Technica headset things that like the NFL guys use, you know, when they're calling sporting events, thinking, oh, that'll be easy. Mm. Well, the other problem is I forgot I'm carrying my Linux laptop. <laughs> so that was uh, a whole rebuild of everything that is recording. So if this sounds a little weird, uh, forgive me. Um, I'll try and fix it in post. Drivers, we don't need no stinking drivers. Did you have to recompile your kernel just to get the headphones to work? No. You know, 
for for once Linux worked first time on everything. And of course, you know, if you've ever worked with Linux, you know that that never happens. So I have spent the last week kind of tre- checking and double checking and wondering why the thing worked. I mean, this is unheard of. Um, so I'm sitting here in trepidation, expecting it to crash at any moment. But so far, so good. So if you're hearing me, it's a miracle. It's, it's a miracle. Yeah. When, it's com- when computers work, it's a miracle. Think about that for just a moment. I mean, the expectation is that you take a standard device, like a USB connector, plug it into a standard piece of hardware, like a USB port, and any OS uh, can render that. But when that actually happens, it's miraculous. This is the world we live in. Especially with Linux. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the thing with Linux is that it, it's sort of hardware agnostic. And that's the problem as well, because it's hardware agnostic. So many more things can go wrong that you wouldn't have if you had a Mac or something of that nature. So what you gain in independence and freedom, freedom, you know, you uh, uh, incur a lot of screams and agony and crashes, (laughs) but that's life. (laughs) The price of freedom is eternal agony, Um, to paraphrase Mm -hmm. Ben Franklin. Uh, I unintentionally uh, consumed uh, a significant amount of Mark Wahlberg media uh, this week. Uh, it just happened to be that a couple of movies that had been in, in my uh, queue to watch um, both starred uh, Mark Wahlberg, uh, Deepwater Horizons and Patriot Day. Um, I knew nothing about either of them other than they both had gotten you know um, fairly uh, reasonable reviews when they first came out. Um, and so I'll just give you my review of them, you know, uh, months later, uh, Deepwater Horizons. It's about, uh, an oil rig platform that catches fire. Spoiler alert. You know that from the previews. Um, it's an unremarkable movie in a lot of ways. It's, I don't regret having spent the 90 odd minutes to watch it, but you know, stuff catches on fire. People run away from the fire. Some of them don't make it. That's kind of the plot of it. The only real moving part uh, actually stars um, the country singer whose name I es- escapes me, who's like six feet tall and, and six, like six, uh, six. Trace Atkins. Trey Ka- Trace Atkins, yeah, he's like six, six. Um, there's a scene at the end uh, where family members are trying to get information where he has literally 90 seconds on the screen. And honestly, I think they're the, they're, he's the most compelling actor outside of Mark Wahlberg in the movie. Uh, and then after having dealt with this terrible thing, they focus on the Wahlberg character's uh, reaction to it. And it's, uh, you know, he's he's a good actor. He really is. A, a lot of people don't give him credit for being the, the actor that he is. And that the pain that he shows it feels real. But you really, you literally have to go through 90 plus seconds of pretty flat affect to get to the, the 90 seconds of really good acting. Um, you know, if it's on, watch it. Don't spend any money for it. That's my review. Either of you seen that particular show? I've seen it. And I mean, not a great movie, but I enjoyed it. I mean, enjoyed the wrong. It like, I don't know how to really classify movies because I mean, I like you. You know, it's not a spectacular movie. Oh, I want to watch that one a hundred times. You know, it doesn't have the rewatchability factor of the Princess Bride. And I mean, let's face it, few things do, but it was 
it was enjoyable enough for me. Like, you know, if thumbs up, thumbs down, it gets a thumbs up. Yeah. So that, my, but you know, not, we, a, not an overly great movie. We've talked about this before. My, my one word review of movies like that is it's fine. It's fine. It's a fine movie. Um, <laughs> I can, I can only imagine the, uh, the Hollywood movie executive in his office when the guy comes in with this idea to pitch and he's got like 15 seconds and he goes, you remember that thing when that oil platform off Texas like blew up? And the executive goes, yeah, it's that. And that's it. Right. Write him a check. <laughs> that's it. You know, it's uh, I, I'm sorry. They're going to do one about Hurricane Irma. Yeah. They're going to do one about. Puerto Rico, they're going to do one about who knows, any natural disaster there's a movie in that. Put Mark right. Wahlberg in it, you're good to go. I mean, that's true but at the same time, you know, you think about it there's all of that, you have this latent zeitgeist of Deepwater Horizon and there's the chance that that zeitgeist can be captured and pulled out of people and you could have a blockbuster on simply name recognition. You know, it's kind of like the distinguished gentleman. Go to that movie, the name you know, Deepwater right. Horizon. <laughs> yeah, and and what's interesting, it, it's uh, fairly heavy-handed in its anti, um, you know, corporate save the planet, the whales are our superiors kind of mentality in that the the bad guys of the movie are the oil company, British Petroleum. Um, but it's Hollywood. You have to expect that. Um, and, you know, oil came gushing up out of the ocean on fire. There's kind of no way to not call that a natural disaster caused by oil drilling. <laughs> so they, they kind of have a pretty good point there. Um, but at the right. same time, it was it was overly heavy handed. Like the villains of the movie were just some guys who were trying to make money and they didn't care who how many millions of people they killed to do it. Um, and yeah, uh, played and very well. Not though. a lot of. Or- yeah, not a lot of character development went on, okay. but the most shallow, most stereotypical char- characters were the oil company executives who didn't belong on the platform anyway. Right. So, you know, and I mean, you're right, it's done that way. And I wonder how, I wonder what percentage of the, I wouldn't say our our listening audience because we have a more you know, thoughtful group, but what percentage of the American public would not recognize that, oh, those were specifically written shallow and heavy handed to create that, you know, it wasn't like, you know, oh my gosh, that's the greatest acting I've ever seen of a villain. I hate that guy. That actor did a great job versus how many cliches Mm -hmm. can we cram into one character before they literally explode on film? And an utter waste of John Malkovich, who is an amazing actor, who is given nothing to work with. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. Hokey dialogue. Uh, and he did it well-ish. I mean, he had, he had the most unbelievable Cajun accent ever on film. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess if you didn't grow up around Cajuns, you wouldn't know that. Um, anyway, enough All about right. that one. Let's move on to another movie. Now, this is one, Seth, where they really missed the boat in the name recognition. Uh, this movie was Patriot Day. I didn't know anything about this at all. I, to the point, I didn't know what it was about. Well, it turns out Patriot Day is about the uh, Boston Marathon bombing of 2013. Um, so 2013, I think that's right. Um, which apparently was the the marathon event locally in Boston is known as Patriot Day. If you're from Boston, you know that. I, I assume. I didn't. Um, so I, I had no idea what to go in, uh, what to do going into it. I thought it was like a war film. 
Um, it's just based on like the cover art, uh, it, which is uh, Mark Wahlberg essentially draped in a flag. Um, so I had I was completely surprised when the 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 movie came on, and and it starts out you you start seeing you know vignettes, ninety seconds, hundred seconds, thirty seconds of different lives, and so I was oh okay this is one of those lives intersecting movies. Okay, I got it, um, but I didn't know in what way those lives were going to intersect. And then as, you know, as the movie went on 10, 15 minutes in, I'm like, Oh, this is Boston. This is a marathon. Oh, okay. Now I know what this movie's about, but it's so subtle, you know, contrasting to the heavy handedness of Deepwater horizons. It's so subtle that it took me several minutes to piece that together. It wasn't a crawl at the beginning saying these are the events of the Boston marathon bombing in 2013. And so as you're watching the vignettes of the lives, I don't know who are the good guys or the bad guys. If I had known what the movie was about, I'd go, oh, those guys are Muslim. They're the bad guys. Um, but they avoided right. that stereotype. Um, and so masterfully, and maybe it was only because I was ignorant that it was masterful to me. H- had I known what it was about, I would have known. Uh, but I like, it's kind of nice going in uh, ignorant like that. Uh, I got to see the full story unfold in the way that, that the director wanted it to. And again, Wahlberg turns in a amazing emotional performance here of a fictional character. Um, he's like the only fictional character in the movie. And they, they sort of put him together as an amalgam of characters to tell, to push the story forward. Uh, and he's just a cop in Boston who happened to be working at the marathon. And so it's the, it's the week up to, you know, uh, the, the morning of the marathon up to about the week after when, uh, both, um, um, terrorists, I'll use that word. Uh, one was killed and one was captured. And, and so it, it ends at that point with a little prologue or, or epilogue about, you know, what happened with this person and this person and this person. And um, really outstanding movie, much better than I expected. But I don't know if it was, it was really good because I was ignorant going in. So that'll be that's sort of a, a litmus test I can't pass. But seriously, uh, you know, if Deepwater Horizons was fine, this one rakes a really good, in my opinion. Have you guys seen it? Well, there's going to be room for... No, but there's going to be room for another Mark Wahlberg movie for the Las Vegas shooting yeah, now. there you go. So, you know, get ready for that one. In between shooting yeah, giant I've robot I've not seen guns. this movie, but... Yeah, I've not seen this movie, but I really want to. Um, I don't know why I missed it in theaters, but... You know, I, I go through these movie kicks and then these non-movie kicks, and I got to get back in a movie kick because I think Thor's coming out pretty soon, and... This one has all the earmarks of a great movie. I'm really hoping that I haven't seen all the best parts in the trailer. Great movie. Again, enjoyable movie, yes. Great movie. I haven't seen any earmarks of a great movie. (laughs) I've seen earmarks of a fun movie. Fun. Okay, fun. You know, but that makes a movie great because you enjoy it. I mean, you know. I don't you when you use great you're talking like you know cinematography composition all that I'm like yes I am glad I saw that movie you should go see it too I want to see it that's a great movie because it does what it's supposed to it gets the you it gets the viewer excited about the movie and it makes you it you know so again great in but that doesn't mean it's not great it's just not great in your definition of great but it you know we'll see i'm hoping you know maybe i'm gonna go back and say if i if i would have seen none of the trailers i would have thought it was good but anyway it 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 has all the earmarks of something i will greatly enjoy so i'm not hey whatever happened to bruce willis movies 
He hasn't been in a movie for ages, has he? No, he has. Um, he was in Red, <laughs> Red 2. and Which was about old know. people. Yeah. Yeah, because he's getting old. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he started his career at like 35. Um, so he was he was kind of old going in. He's no Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, uh, that's true. So I'm not a Marvel I, I didn't grow up on comic books. Like my exposure to the Marvel universe was uh, the X Men cartoon in the '80s, which I really loved. Uh, but that's really about it. Uh, and De- uh, um, Bill Bixby's version of the Incredible Hulk, um, which again right. I grew up on that. Lou Ferrigno. Um, so this Hulk in the Marvel universe is too intelligent for me. Uh, and I understand there's there is canon for it, and it's explainable. But when Hulk is flying a ship, for me, I mean, Hulk is supposed to be an insane rage monster. Uh, even in the very first uh, Avengers movie, where he takes orders from Cap, right? Hulk smash. Um, that that struck me as wrong. And in this next one, where he's having complete conversations in full sentences, just in the previews for uh, the the next Thor movie, um, really is. It's just going against. I, I I can I can see that it's going to be fun and enjoyable, but it goes against the Hulk I know, and it messes with my brain every time I see it. And I think honestly, it's going to ruin the experience for me. Hmm. Okay. Well, here's from my from what limited stuff I can kind of piece together in the past. Think of it this way. Think of it as two separate beings. You know, you have Doctor Banner and the Incredible Hulk. And the Incredible Hulk is mindless. It's not that he's mindless. It's that he's a rage baby. And so, like, one of the things in the movie is, like, apparently he's been Hulk nonstop for, like, a couple of years or something. And so, therefore, he has had time to develop and grow faculties as the Hulk. So, that was kind of, I don't know where, but that... Okay. Is and of course they do a much better job of explaining it from wherever I heard. I don't know if this is some YouTube <laughs> theory video I saw or if it's just me reacting to you, but that's kind of my understanding of how he, you know, the the more he's the Hulk, the more his brain develops as the Hulk and you know, in much the same way the more you're a person, the more you develop as a person. Okay, I'll give you that. And and also we are talking about uh, a, a guy who triples in size and somehow doesn't lose his pants. So, you know, you have to throw reality out the window at some point. Maybe he's not so incredible in every way. Just saying. Um, Could be. Stretchy pants. <laughs> which in the... Uh, the uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name. The the move the first Marvel movie uh, with with Superman. Um, David, is it, what's that actor's name? Anyway, doesn't Ed Norton. Ed Norton. Ed Norton. Um, in there, there are two scenes in that movie where they literally use the word stretchy pants uh, to explain that, which I think is great. He's buying pants uh, in some third world country where they don't speak English. And and he's trying to communicate, and he's like, "Do you have anything more stretchy?" And he's he's like pulling out a stretchy, and they point at these purple ones, which is awesome because this the Hulk always had purple pants. Uh, but right. other than that nod to it in like 2004, <laughs> there hasn't been any mention of the fact that Hulk doesn't lose his pants. 
All right. So moving on, uh, Miles, I think this is interesting. You in your thing here, you, you you wrote discovered a new remote desktop app. It's interesting that you use mm-hmm. the word new because I was using this in like 2009. So what they have clearly is oh, a marketing really? problem, and that is no machine. Tell us about your experiences with no machine. Yeah, I'd never heard of it before, and I've been looking for remote desktop app things, you know, for managing remote machines for years. Uh, and I, you know, I guess I've used what everyone else has used. I've used VLC. Um, I VNC. used Team Viewer until one day I was sitting in front of my computer, and all of a sudden my mouse and cursor started all moving on my own. And I realized, uh oh, we got a hacker here. So I stopped using Team Viewer. Um, I've used, you know, remote desktop, which is easy enough to install. But but when you're trying to remotely control a Linux desktop computer from a remote uh, desktop Linux computer, I was uh, having some issues. And yeah, I just did some Google searching, and I've never this has never come up on my search results. And maybe I I type searches in some weird way or something. But the first time I saw this no machine. And I thought, you know, I'm not looking for a freebie. I don't mind paying for something if it works. Um, anyway, I I spent two or three hours trying to get uh, VNC installed and the firewall set up and SSH into it and all this stuff. And eventually, yeah, it kind of worked, but I've got this multi-monitor set up and it's just a nightmare. Uh, I installed this no machine, hit the mark first time. I mean... It just, it was brilliant. It just installed the, the deb files in Ubuntu and bang, there it was. It just worked. And again, okay, so here's another Linux experience that just worked. No machine just worked. I, I don't know. This isn't real. I'm pinching myself. <laughs> this is not normal. And it, it seems like no machine has pivoted since I knew them because when I knew them, they were a terminal services um, company. So you would have a, well, a very low-powered terminal, uh, even they sold no machine clients. You could buy their hardware that would talk back to a Linux terminal thing. So apparently they've pivoted, abandoned that, and now they're just um, remote access, which is probably, I mean, it's probably the better market because, let's face it, terminal services uh, have always been a hard sell. And now that you can buy a fully functional computer for less than the cost of most of the hardware that people were selling, there really is no market for it anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all platforms. It's uh, Linux, Windows, Mac. Um, I guess Android. Yeah. I, I didn't. I prob- I don't remember. I seem to think I saw a tablet or two showing up there. Maybe iOS. Yeah. So, uh, but it looks good and it worked first time. And I haven't tried it for an hour or so, but I don't think that would be a problem. Um, I'm going to know in a week or so if this thing is really as good as it appears but so far so good and and it's free they're not charging any free, uh, consumer anything to use it um they make their money apparently from enterprise desktop uh multi-site sales right, which is what i'm looking at right and now so, is that yeah. terminal service thing so you set up a terminal server a no machine server and the no, no, no machine enterprise desktop so they've they've opened this the floodgates to try to get employees talking to employers it's smart. It has worked in the uh, past. It's their gateway technology. Indeed. Trying to get you in and hook you. I mean, how many companies right now are <laughs> buying iPhones for their client, uh, for the employees, because the employees didn't want a BlackBerry or, or you know, the, a secure phone? It That is a case where 
the the customer or the yeah the customer essentially drove the enterprise it doesn't happen often but you know there that doesn't stop other people from trying to follow that same route hmm. well it looks good the installation was really simple i mean it's literally just a just run setup thing and done it's uh, UDP, I believe, and it's over port 4000, so it's probably going to need a little firewall tweak. Mm-hmm. May- maybe not, I don't know, but um, I'm doing it behind a VPN, so it's not a big deal. Most firewalls will allow UDP out you know, without question, so if you're syncing through their site, then it shouldn't be an issue, but if you're going, trying to go peer-to-peer, you probably will need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, again... I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but we can't just ignore it. Bitcoin is still a thing. Um, and now that it's getting super expensive, people are more interested in mining it. And so new hardware is being developed. Yeah, this this is really interesting. Seth, this will probably uh, have interest to you. Um, there's a company out of Japan, uh, three-letter acronym, of course. Uh, anyway, um, they have manufactured the new, uh, is it, 7 nanometer chipset for the ASIC miners. Wow. And the reason why this is, yeah, this is really significant. Um, it's out now, but no one has converted that into an actual ASIC miner. But what's driving this is that I found out this week that Samsung and Intel and IBM as well have all bought these chips to build miners. So the goal is that uh, by Q1 2018, the first set of miners will be on the market that utilize this new technology. So what this all means, it all sounds all technical, but what it means is for the same amount of power consumption that you're currently getting, you're literally going to be able to double your mining output. Um, now, and that's a only double cost, if you have the latest generation. If you're still a generation or two back, you can get you know quadruple or more. So, like, right. my old one would be much more than a... I would get quadruple the power. And the fact right. that ni- uh, 7 it's, nanometer means something, it's, it's really small, uh, so it can it can go in a form factor the size of a, of a Raspberry Pi. Uh, so that means lower power con- uh, consumption, lower heat uh, dissipation. So that's why the 7 yeah, nanometer the, chip is a big deal. The, the, other, the other threshold here were, they were finding with miners was that um, miners were no longer becoming something that people could do in their homes uh, because the power consumption on an individual miner was starting to get up to the, the threshold in which a 15 amp circuit was going to blow. So, you know, for the average resident 15 amp circuit, which is your average power outlet, um, this thing would start shutting down your circuit breakers all the time. And they needed to go, if you wanted to boost output, but you couldn't afford to do it unless you had industrial level power uh, supplies and all your wiring rechanged to support it, uh, this is how you do it. Um, so this is this is huge. Um, I don't know what... This, and then, of course, with the rising Bitcoin price, this means not only can you get the, the double or quadruple output, but now you're going to get it at this fifty or $6,000 Bitcoin price. Um wow this is a lot of the money to be made here yeah see like my bitcoin i'm um i have an s4 and i don't remember what that is but the s9 that um bitmain sells is the 16 nanometer one and the s9 runs at 14 theta hashes mine runs it depends on the day i get between 2.5 and 3 averaging out so i am making roughly 
$90 a month mining Bitcoin. And I was making roughly $90 a month when Bitcoin was at like a thousand. So has, has my miner becomes less and less efficient or can produce less and less results at the hash rate, the price has gone up and up. So typically at least, and you know, and I, I haven't thought about what this would look like at higher hash rates, but at my hash rate, my miners pretty much keeping pace with the price in Bitcoin. So I'm still making 90 and it's costing me between 40 and 50 to run. And, you know, I, the only reason I do this is because this is in, we, when we built our house, every bedroom was on its own circuit and there's nothing else on in this circuit in the bedroom, uh, on our 20 amp circuit than this Bitcoin miner. So that I wouldn't try to run this with anything else. You know, occasionally I turn the light on when I need to go in there cause it's a storage room and you know, but other, I'm not going to like, I wouldn't try to run an air conditioner or a TV or, you know, anything else like that. And so yeah, as mining goes up, you know, has, if the, you're going to, you're not, you know, like, well, if Bitcoin doubles, I'll double the amount of money. No, you won't because the hash rate will double and you'll still be making the same. So that's something you don't think about. You just think you, when you see dollar signs, I'm going to buy a miner for every room in my house. Well, okay. But you know, just there's some, there's some other things to think about. Well, the, the one other important factor that this um, works on is that this is not Bitmain. Yeah. Um, that's these another cool ASIC thing. chips Right, and so we're now spreading the burden away and avoiding that fifty-one percent, you know, Bitcoin miner takeover thing. Uh, Bitmain, I think at last I last checked on blockchain was about seventeen percent of mining. Um, so this is going to dilute their position, and I'm I'm hopeful that this might bring the power back to the people and, and further decentralize mining. Hope so. Power to the people, man. Oh yeah. All right, so now this is a, a a discussion I want to have. It could take 30 minutes. It could take 30 seconds. Maybe you'll both say, Mark, you're wrong. Shut up, and that will be that. We'll see. Um, Seth, who is uh, my, my, not only my friend in real life, but my friend on Facebook, where it really counts, um, uh, saw that I posted last night after after a day of uh, being at the beach. We went down to the, uh, the hotel uh, sort of lobby uh, 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 patio area and they have a fire pit there and we were sitting around the fire pit and we were having a good time and there were um you know not a large number of us but it was there was not just my family there also um and so we were gathering on fi- around the fire pit and then um a uh, another person uh came in and after a few minutes uh decided to fumigate us all with cigarette smoke um and at that point we all had to leave uh i i and three of my daughters all have asthma uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it's just, it's just not a, a battle worth fighting, uh, over somebody. So we didn't, you know, we didn't make her feel bad. We didn't, we didn't say anything about it. We just left. All right. Time to leave. Um, so I've, I've said her, that's all I'm going to give you is the gender. Um, and the, uh, uh, I posted, you know, on Facebook, it was almost the perfect end to a night until a smoker decided to ruin things for everyone. Um, and Seth uh, chastised me for being a quote social justice warrior in training, um, and so that got me. I've been, you know, I've been in the car for six hours almost today. I had plenty of time to think about that comment, um, and it occurred to me um, to that that might be an interesting discussion here on this show. So, Seth, tell me why um, you felt that that I was being a social justice warrior, or at least uh, on a on a micro scale by by posting that. 
Was it the passive aggressive well, nature of the? Because I'll give you, I'll give you a hint. It was a little passive aggressive the way I wrote it. I'll, I'll cop to that. Yeah, you know, and and that's the thing. You know, social justice warriors, they don't really confront the issue they post about it on Facebook thinking they've done something. So you didn't go up to this person and say, Hey, I have a problem with that. You've, you've created yourself, uh, you know, in your force field of invulnerability known as Facebook friends that everybody has. Oh, look at me. I'm so great. You know, those smokers are evil. They shouldn't, you know, how dare they disrupt my life and interfere with my beliefs. And I mean, I understand asthma and all of that. And, you know, and of course me, I really, I just like, Hey, well, there's a nice snarky comment to, uh, you know, see what happens. But, and it, but it got me thinking, it's like, is that social? Because I, you know, I think that it's one of the most disgusting things ever. The smell of cigarette smoke. It's just, it, I hate it. And I choose to leave when it's around. And, you know, and a lot of times running through my head are those same type of comments, but I just, I choose to leave because I would rather leave than deal with it. And so how, I don't know. I mean, I think it is kind of social justice in the negative connotation that conservatives and libertarians have with the term. And, um, so I don't know. It's just uh, it's what I, I, I – it, this is an interesting discussion. I don't know how well it will go, but okay. it seems to me so, that – yeah, go ahead. So flashback to 1987. I am in sophomore honors English class, uh, and we are embarking on an exercise in which we have to uh, vigorously argue for a, a, a position that we do not personally agree with. So, uh, you know, and it's, it's an excellent exercise. Everybody should do it. Um, I'm, as I get older, I'm beginning to cherish the education I had back in that small rural school, because today I don't think you could do that exercise. That there would be a hostile environment and, and poor little Jimmy would be emotionally scarred from having to argue, uh, a, a position he didn't agree with. But I, I, I thank my teacher for forcing me to, to see the other side of things. Uh, so we did these sort of things on a regular basis. And my teacher, who was a smoker, uh, going down the list, uh, hit smoker's rights. And because I can't keep my big mouth shut, um, and I couldn't even when I was 16 years old, I said, smokers have no rights. And so she pointed at me and said, that's your topic. Um, and then and I said, okay. And then later she came back and, and she apologized to me uh, um, in private and said it was it was wrong of me to, to you know, put let my personal feelings on, on what you said um, uh, interfere there. You can change topics if you want to. I said, no, I'll stick with it. I'm good. But my point there by smoker, smokers have no rights was not that if you are a smoker, you have no rights. It was that smokers are not a protected, protected class of humanity. Therefore, there is no such thing as a smoker's right. You are a person who happens to smoke. And we, I, I feel the same way about gay rights. There's no such thing as gay rights. Um, there are all these people who say, treat us like everybody else. But 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 then they want extra rights. You can't have both. You're either just like everybody else, or you're a protected class of citizenry um, that has special rights. That you can't be both. So a smoker cannot be treated just like everybody else and have rights. You got to pick one. Are you a smoker who has rights, or are you just like everybody else? Now, if if the, if we had people in our society who routinely enjoyed rolling around in dog feces. And smearing it on their body as 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 part of just a recreational uh, activity, um, would we would you feel the same way if I said we were sitting at a restaurant 
and a poo roller came in and sat down beside us and ruined it for everybody. Um, and so that's 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 sort of the the position I, I want to take here. That this is not a, a medical issue. This is not a uh, freedom of rights. Issue. This is a preference. This person's preference directly affected everybody around them, as smoking does. Um, there is no way to smoke and not affect those around you. It cannot be done. All right. So you could say, for example, uh, I am an obese man. You could say that my uh, overeating affects people around me because they have to look at my fat, ugly self. I would accept that as a reality. But I can also throw a robe on. Problem solved. You can't see my fatness. Um, so you know there there are certain things that affect people in ways that are simply unavoidable. Smoking is one of those things. There is no way to smoke in in a in a isolated environment. Smoke goes you know it is a gas it follows moore's law it expands to fill whatever space it is given uh so that's my point when i say smokers have no rights there she has this this person has no rights as a smoker she is a person um who and you can't say she has a right to smoke that cigarette she doesn't there is no right doesn't exist there's only social custom and you know this is a thing that we haven't worked out as a society what is the social custom for smoking 50 years ago everybody smoked everywhere all the time and it was fine Social custom is changing, and I believe that smokers are still stuck in the past. And 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 you people like to ridicule uh, political conservatives for that very thing and say, you know, step into the modern times. You're living in the past. You can't hold that mindset anymore while you're puffing on your cigarette. You know, you can't you can't have it both ways. You need to adapt to the new social mores as well. All right. Having said all of that, Miles, what are your thoughts? Um. Ooh, okay, it's two sides. There's my pure libertarian attitude, and that would be I cannot infringe upon somebody else's choices with what they do with their body. It's their it's their body. They ultimately will pay the price for their choices, and it's not for me to infringe upon what they do to themselves. So that's okay if they're doing it to themselves. If they're incurring smoke into my environment which has a negative effect on the health of me and my family or people around me then i do reserve the right to ask them to stop or to change their behavior or move it somewhere else or whatever but i can't exercise that right with anything that would be force or any i can only politely ask and if the if that's not something I'm going to choose to do, I probably would have done exactly what you did, Mark, and I would have said, let's just move somewhere else. Um, I would say to the vendor who has the location where you're, you're the customer of it, that maybe the vendor might choose to find a way to isolate smokers from other parts of behavior. Um, I noticed when we were in Germany going through the various airports there, there's still quite a lot of smoking in Europe. I mean, if you ever go to Paris, it's like mega smoking and it's very, very hard to take. But in Germany, what they've done is they've got these uh, smoker stations all throughout the airports and they're these clear plastic, <laughs> they look like the TARDIS, they're bigger, but these clear plastic areas and people go in there and they just smoke. And when you're walking by from terminal to terminal and you see them in the areas just smoking, it kind of looks funny. Like it looks like a, a sort of a pen at a zoo. And <laughs> thankfully you're not smelling any of it. 
but uh, that's what they do just to keep them in their own environment. Um, I don't know. There's a point of, I don't want to infringe upon other people's rights to do with, with what they want. I think that we've done a lot of that in the world of like drugs, marijuana, for example, and it, it doesn't work because we end up paying the price as a society to try to police that in which we probably have no real right to police. Um, at the same time with smoking, I'm concerned that corporations who have created this addictive behavior were never really brought to account and ultimately the consumer market brought them to account by reducing the number of smokers down to a bare minimum. So I think, I don't know, I think this is working its way out naturally. Uh, I've seen states like California and Arizona go through a transition where you could smoke in restaurants and now you can't smoke in restaurants. And when that day happened, my life in restaurants got much better. But that's just me. I'm just one person. I, I wouldn't want somebody to come and infringe upon my rights of whatever I'm doing, whether it's the, the car I drive or the time I get up in the morning or how many cups of coffee a day I drink. That's none of their business. So I can understand the smoker's position. I just ask that the smokers do it in an area where it doesn't infringe upon my rights. All right, Seth, okay, before you, see, before you respond, hold on. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preload your response just a little bit and say <laughs> would i ha, would you have respected my activities more so and would i have been less social justice warriory if i had done as miles said and actively expressed my concerns to that person or is it better or would it have better been better to say nothing to no one or, or is or do do those two balance the scales and it's the fact that i ch- chose the middle path that was the problem Okay, well, what listed my uh, social justice warrior training comment was the snarky nature I perceived your comment to be. So what I was going to say was very much along what you just said, Mark, going to the establishment owner saying, hey, could you make this a no smoking or would have you thought about providing a no smoking area? You know, I smoking is not something I like. I don't know if I'll be coming back here. And then you haven't made it a social justice thing. You've made it a more of a justice thing. So you have entered the marketplace with your ideals and put feet on them and not just set back from social media and, you know, launch barrages at people whose um, activities you disagree with be they you know political um philosophical religious or actual physical activities so the social justice aspect was after it was done you disparage this person now again you didn't like take a picture and say you know Susie smith of 123rd main street atlanta georgia how dare you you know fill my lungs with your putrid tar and nicotine, you know? So, I mean, it wasn't that bad, but at the same token, there was no, there was just this, I'm shooting this comment out. Look how great I am. Look how bad they are. Okay. I feel better. I can go on with life. You know, I've, I've pumped up my self-worth for the day. I've let those evil people have it. And again, evil, I've let those different people than me have it is more how we define evil these days. And so versus actually saying, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm an asthmatic. Is there any way you could not smoke around us or, you know, some, and again, that gets ugly because I have a right. I understand it's not worth. So I'm not saying your actions should be different. Um, what elicited the comment for me was the, uh, snarky, haughty nature 
of the ad. It, and again, that's I'm not even saying it was there. It was just that was the way it hit me, and that's how I wanted to respond in kind. So I was, you could argue, I was being just as social justicey <laughs> in my comment to you as you were in your comment uh, about the smoker. Um, so here's it, what it, it kind of got me thinking as well. So here's what I propose then. Uh, the uh, a good way to resolve this would be to have a a, uh, a a a different fire pit, a separate fire pit, but one that is equal uh, to the other one. A, a one might say a separate but equal uh, fire pit uh, in a different place that uh, smokers could use, and therefore there would there would be the the uh, the smokers. Uh, fire pit and then the non-smokers which is of course an always equals but separate always separate but equal uh, fire pit so that both classes I mean both groups of humanity uh, would be able to enjoy the amenities and and would not have to interact with each other what do you think would that work you know that to me that would solve all of society's problems if we built however many of course these days you would need like 500 separate but equal areas to classify everyone but no wouldn't that be awesome and of course i mean we're both being facetious but you know and here's the thing there is smoking wasn't against the rules so you you know and like i don't non-smoking has become such a way of life uh, in most of America, you know, you can't smoke if you go to restaurants, you can't smoke in most public places that you just assume when you go somewhere, it's non-smoking and fewer and fewer people smoke. Um, but, you know, it's just like I don't there's certain places I don't want to go because while the building itself might be smoke free, you know, it's surrounded by a fog of nicotine mm-hmm. and tar that I don't have a hazmat suit to walk through because all the smokers congregate outside right around the door. And oh, why must they all be so, within three feet of the door? What I don't understand what the what the herding instinct there is why can't they move off out downwind yeah or you know it's like okay we're not going to stand right in front of the door we're going to stand upwind of the door and uh (laughs) you know and here's what we're going to do we're going to take the biggest inhale that we can put our cigarette out walk in and exhale because that oh lord that just infuriates me so um i don't know go ahead but let, let me throw something here um Obviously, there's another issue paralleling to this, and that is the fact that in the moment when you saw this person, when this person did what they did, which you felt infringed upon your uh, enjoyability of the moment, right, or your health or whatever, it was just an annoyance, it was a pain, you didn't engage that person, you didn't attempt to correct the behavior because... And I probably, I, I, like I said, I would have done the same thing. I don't feel it's my right to protect, the, to, to change their behavior. Their behavior is their business and it's up to them what they do. It's up to me to control how I react to it. That's all I can control. So you did what you could do. But the fact that you walked away from that with an issue in your mind that is now 24 hours later or more, and we're talking about it, this was an important issue to you. I mean, this is something that's stuck in your craw that you just had to get out and you use Facebook as an outlet to express some release of the anger that was associated with this. Is it also unfair that you should have to carry the burden of that anger without releasing it somewhere, whether you go to the gym and you beat up a boxing punch bag or something, or whether you tell it to your friends at the bar or whether you 
talk on a podcast about it, right? Is it fair that you have to hold that back for fear of upsetting the social norm? Well, that's interesting. So we, you feel that we're, are you alluding to the fact that we live in a society where whining is not okay? Well, whining should be okay. It's a release. It releases stress and it releases anger, and these matters then tend to resolve themselves more rapidly than if you hold it in, build it up, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And the next thing, you're a guy in the 32nd floor of, the, of a casino in Vegas shooting up people. I mean, I'm not saying it gets to that, right? Don't get me I, wrong. I think really- But what I'm saying is that we- this 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 norm of everybody's got to be nice to each other and we can't upset somebody else is not healthy. At some I, point, it just I, doesn't work. I think my real mistake, and and you know, this was sort of a novice. I, I should know better than this at forty five years old. It, it was a rookie mistake. Was that I went to Facebook when in fact Twitter is the outrage capital of the world, uh, <laughs> and I really should have gone there. So I, I apologize to the internet for that. You know, it goes back to what I've said many times. We don't know how to express ourselves because we aren't taught to think. We're taught what to think. So when something happens that doesn't fit the paradigm that we have accepted to believe, we don't know how to discuss the issue. You know, whether, you know, because we're instantly offending or offended by our post. I mean, I, you know, how easy is it because I spend so much time in my cocoon to lash out and lambast people who, if I were talking to them in person, I would, I would show compassion just because, you know, you know, you can't talk to people like that. But because I'm insulated and I'm in my, you know, force field of invulnerability known as Facebook friends or Twitter follower echo chamber we, we just we feel you know we say things that we wouldn't say in real life and they come out you know snarkity uppity uh i'm better than them whatever and it's me and we i'm not trying to say other people do things that i don't i i, I lead the pack on this as much as anyone we don't take the time to think something through we just lash out with words because because it hurt you know whenever you're two years old and you scrape your knee you know lashing out and crying for mama and you know raising all kinds of cane that's acceptable but at some point along the way we should have grown up into maturity and be able to express these things in a in a rational, non-judgmental, emotions okay as long as it doesn't dominate manner. And again, I'm not saying you didn't do this. We've kind of progressed beyond the initial thing, but we don't know how to do that. We don't practice doing it. We we get just hamstrung intellectually because we don't know how to think about stuff like this. We just get mad because stuff like this doesn't meet, um, it doesn't line up with our view of what the world should be. And I think as long as we're diagnosing the issues of the shortcomings of American society, let's not forget that as as a general rule, we don't we are not taught as I was in 1987 uh, to put put ourselves in the the shoes of the other person. Um, the the reason I did not confront this woman is because you know she was just trying to enjoy the environment as much as I was. She wanted to kick back at the end of a long day, uh, sit around the fire pit and enjoy 
uh, a cigarette, which is something she enjoys. So I chose not to uh, assume that my desires outranked hers. Um, so I let I let her, you know, do her thing. Um, now let me ask both of you this. I'm going to give another piece of information, uh, and let's see if it changes your answer. Um, this was at the end of the day. Uh, we'll call it. 9:30. Let's say I don't know if that's what it was, but we'll say it was. So, um, uh, so it's a, a long day, you know, by by anyone's standards. Whatever uh, you know, you're waking up time might, it might have been by 9:30. It's the end of the day. Uh, this woman was clearly at the end of her work day, uh, enjoying the outside environment, and was wearing the uniform of the hotel that I was staying. Does that change any of your answers? Yes, it does to me because uh, at this point she's representing the hotel and how they feel about their customers because by doing what she did, she's sending a, um, an overt message that says, I as a representative of this establishment care not for how comfortable you are and for how good you feel about being here because I'm going to do what's right for me because I have a right because I'm on my break or whatever it might be. Uh, and that's not on. Um, as a business owner, I would fire anybody working for me that did that because that's just a direct... Uh, uh, that that goes against all of the... You know, uh, businesses advertise uh, to the public and they spend, on average, about 6% of their gross revenue in advertising. That's a lot of money to a business that's making, you know, a million dollars or $10 million or $100 million a year. That's a lot of money. And for somebody, an individual in that establishment, to negate all of that investment and all of that goodwill is un... There's no way. There's no way I would put, I would put up for that. And, and if that person went back to the HR department and whined about, well, I have rights, you know, I have a right as a smoker to a, a break every hour for five minutes or ten minutes, it's like, well, yeah, but what about the non-smokers? They also have rights for breaks as well, and they're not getting them. And so at that point, no. The second you said it came from the business, I'll completely retract my <laughs> my answer now, and I'll say no. That was not on, and she should have been, uh, you know, told off about it. But what if that was one of the designated areas? If you need to smoke, this is one of the areas you can smoke in, designated by the hotel management to their staff. Uh, the hotel management should separate what is for the customers to what is for the staff, and the staff should go out the back with the with the you know dumpsters, and they can go out there. Because, you know, they're making money at that on an hourly basis working for that establishment and they should have the best interest of the establishment before their own. What if I'm off duty? Uh, well, if you're off duty, then go home. Take the uniform off and get out of here. But if you're working and you're in a break, you represent the establishment, you behave according to the rules that we, the establishment, define. So I, I tend to agree with I you. Know I know I sound like issue. I'm being I'm being very I'm very draconian on this, but as a business owner, I'm sick and tired of investing millions of dollars into ventures to watch somebody who's got no skin in the game, who's just receiving a paycheck, sit there and and shove it in my face. So yeah, I agree. No this way. was a this was a failure of management, not of the employee. Um, but Seth, to your point, uh, most of the building was a non-smoking building my guess is that this outdoor area really the only outdoor area that and the the pool they were separate areas were probably designated as smoking facilities 
probably because you know there are people who stay in hotels and who also smoke so they probably i'm I'm making a lot of assumptions here have designated those areas as a safe smoking zones so let's let's make all those assumptions assuming that is an area designated for smokers uh or uh, an area designated that it's okay to smoke in um is it still a negative for the employee to have done it for me, it doesn't really matter because, I mean, I've just, you know, because here's the deal. It was at the end of your day and you were going to be heading in shortly too. True. this was as anything. This was a good excuse for let's go ahead and go in now. And you if not, if it hadn't been that person in five minutes, you probably because you have young children and, you know, and at the end of the day, it's good to you know, remove outside stimuli because you've reached your limit and you just need to calm down and slowly, you know, drift off to sleep. So you've put yourself in a position where your less than best behavior is going to be. And then, like I say, you're using the smoker has an excuse to do, you know, all right, kids, not five more minutes right now. And they're not going to complain because they don't like it either. So, you know, it's a, it's a win-win for everybody, but it's also a lose-lose for everybody. Yeah. Wow. This has got, this has got some interesting tangents on it, Mark. <laughs> you got a good one here. I mean, I, you know, I, I wanted to start this whole thing off going, well, I can't infringe on somebody else's right, so it's up to me to suck it up. And then you said they're an employee, and I went all ballistic on them. Um, I am a true anarcho-capitalist. I'm sorry. So, but to, but to your, uh, uh, to my point, if if this was a designated smoking area, is it okay for an employee to smoke in that designated smoking area? policy of the establishment if the establishment feels that it is then i will rate the establishment as a customer in in that way i would not be looking favorably on there and, and as a hotel where they probably charge 300 dollars a night for a room i probably would never give them another dime of my money so my take on it is one of the things that you know as a father as i'm trying to teach my children is um anytime you elevate your desires among those uh around you you are by definition being rude and the amount of rudeness is multiplied by the number of people who are imposing, who you're imposing your will on. So if you're late to a party, uh, a dinner, and 15 people have to wait to eat because you couldn't get your schedule together and show up on time, you've been 15 times as rude as you would have been if it was your best friend waiting on you. Right, so th- these are this is sort of the basic equation that I'm trying to teach my nine-year-old of what politeness is. Politeness is not esteeming yourself higher than anyone else. Um, and we're a family who follows the teachings of Christ. We are taught to actually esteem others as better than ourselves. So not only we're we being rude, we're being unchristlike when we do that, which in my family is a big deal. Maybe not in yours, but in mine, uh, to be unchristlike is is a pretty big thing. Um, so when I look at this this employee, you know, there were let's say 10 people not smoking, this person chose to smoke. Even if, if maybe nine of those other people were okay with it, right? At this point, without knowing, without asking, without, hey, you guys mind if I smoke? Without any of that, this person um, elevated her desires, her comfort, her um, uh, well-being above 10 other people. She is 10 times rude because of that. And so that's that's where... I took the greatest offense to it was that she had elevated herself above me and 
and everybody else around there. And I felt that that is is not okay for anybody to do in any situation. Whereas, you know, having a, a willingness to say, you know, do you guys mind? Is it okay? You know, that would have been that would have been okay. I would have probably said something like, "We prefer that you not, but I can't stop you." Right? But at least you would have had the the effort to do so. That this person chose to at the end of the day, um, you know, uh the the uniform was loose, you know, is it, it was it was hanging partly on, so clearly she's off duty. And she chose to do something that she enjoyed uh and did not care whether it was to the the positive or negative for all those around her. That's the thing that made made me feel um put upon in some way and i would have felt that uh, at any point anything and and i i try in every situation to never elevate myself uh, again going back to my religious beliefs uh, jesus said that uh, you should take the lowest position and uh, and allow yourself to be elevated not ev- take the high position and then suffer the indignity of being removed so i try to walk into every situation uh letting somebody else tell me what my position is Right, and in the corporate corporate world, my boss tells me what my position is. I have these people who are lower than me, these people who are above me, these people who are on the same level as me. Those rules are clearly defined. Social interactions, not so much. Um, so I, I think that that maybe is the nuance that that we've we've all been talking around, that we've been complaining about, we've been you know decrying the whole time, is that these lessons aren't being taught, and everybody assumes just sort of across the board that they are the most important person in any room. Well, it, okay, I'll give you another example of that. You're driving down in the car, you're the only person in the car, you're the driver. Somebody cuts you off or somebody turns, doesn't indicate and, you know, causes you some stress. Who among us do not yell out some profanity within the car that nobody else can hear? Or in their head, imagine, you know, are you so-and-so, you fill in the, the dots, right? And at some point... Uh, this happening over and over and over again, and living in an area where this does tend to happen quite a lot here. Um, at what point do you not blow up? And then it starts to spill over into the more physical interactions that you have with other people or the more social interactions where you're carrying around the weight of all of this frustration. Um, I don't know. I think we have to have outlets for this sort of thing. And it would be ideal if you could confront somebody at the time it happens and you could try to b- change behavior. But at the same point, what right do you have to be able to dictate that? We look to third parties, the police or other people like that, to do that job for us. Um, do they do a good job of it? I don't know. At some point, I just sort of say, okay, I'll just yell inside the car, make sure the windows are up, no one will hear me, and hopefully I'll get over it and no one's hurt. But, but you that see, didn't that goes change the thing. Yeah, well, you know, there, there's ways of addressing your frustration that don't. I mean, of course, you know, there's people that how dare you look at me without permission? I'm offended, and I'm offended that you're offended, and I'm offended that y'all ignored me in your offense. You know, so there's always that, but there are also ways of expressing frustration that don't create frustration around you you know and so when you when something happens to you that you don't like you can you can let you can vent that but you can vent it in such a way that if there happens to be someone around they don't get singed by the flames and so you know and 
we as people are creatures of habit. And if we cuss people out because they cut us off, and if you've ever rush hour in a major city, I mean, again, this is, you know, what I do, you cuss people out, then eventually you're going to cuss people out whenever there's, you know, people from your church sitting in the car next to you because you're going to a movie in another town and you're like, Oh crap, I forgot people were here, but it's because I developed that habit of, you know, magnifying the frustration that I received rather than, um, diffusing the frustration I receive. It's like, you know, I mean, you can look at this like, how dare you? I'm, or it's like, you know, it's okay. If I'm late, it's my fault for not leaving on time. You know, both of those are able to diffuse the situation in your mind. One of those doesn't create that situation in someone else's mind. And so the problem is we're so used to in our bubble of invulnerability. I, I love, I just love that concept. Our bubble of invulnerability, we feel free to just, you know, blow hot air rather than, you know, I mean, I'm not going to post on here, you know, if I had been this, you know, well, somebody was smoking, it was time to go. Uh, it was, it was, a, it was time to end the day anyway. We were able to get some sleep. No, I'm going to be snarky and I'm going to make the other person who's never going to know look lower than, you know, toe jam. So, Again, it's 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 what's there. It it's what's in you that comes out of you, and what you let come out of you becomes what you let come out of you all the time. And then the next thing you know, that's just what comes out of you by default. So, interesting conversation. Um, I don't know. What do you what do you think, Mark? Your turn to talk. Well, I think it's interesting that this uh, that you went to the roadway, Miles, because I I can't speak for other countries. I've never driven in another country. Um, uh, I, I can't, uh, but in America, we are a competitive culture and we're a car culture. Ergo, every human who puts uh, a car on the road is immediately in a race and pole position is important. And it's important that you get there first. Even if you're not going to the same place, you have to get there first. It's a race. Uh, and so uh, the American highway system consists of millions of people putting themselves before everyone else. Uh, just today on my long trek back, um, there was this young lady uh, in a car. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, she, I only saw her for a few seconds. I'm guessing she was in her early 20s. Uh, the front of her car was completely smashed in, uh, headlights broken, bumper hanging off uh, from a, a previous accident. Obviously, uh, it hadn't just happened. Uh, there was signs of rust. You know, it had been a while. Um, and she's driving erratically, whipping in and out of traffic with her cell phone in front of her face. Uh, the whole time and I thought that previous accident didn't teach you anything did it or maybe you had a head wound and are incapable of learning after that but at some point you know when you've smashed your car it seems to me that that's where you learn to drive more slowly and keep the phone tucked away but uh, we seem to have a culture that is incapable of learning and the highway is where we we manifest that right so you guys have both alluded to road rage incidents that's where you get so fed up because you're you're you see it hour uh, you know I spend ten hours on average a week in heavy traffic so at some point I either have to be zen about it or I have to you know uh, release that frustration in some way because it, it does happen it, there's a there's a hundred thousand people on the way to work all of whom are more important than I do and so I tend to be very passive aggressive about it I, I talk to these people and my children hear me say it and and I'll say things like it must be important it must be nice to be that important. To be so important that you feel you can do that, that must be a nice feeling. Uh, you know, I, I feel that I'm, I'm somehow missing out 
on thinking that I'm that 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 important. It must be nice to feel that your needs uh, supersede everyone else's around you. It must be nice to to think that just because you have your blinker on, that automatically creates space uh, in the lane beside you. Uh, these are these are delusions that I might enjoy sharing sometime. It must be a nice world to live in. Haven't we all been there? Yep. Haven't we all been there? And and does it make a better person the person who can hold that stuff back and not exercise it openly and outwardly within range of peers or <laughs> friends or family? Um, I don't know. That's an interesting one because here's the thing. If you don't express frustration and to and other people don't don't realize there's a boundary they crossed whether they did it directly or whether you're talking about a third party, but you're showing other people that you do care and that you do get frustrated and that you do have boundaries, then those people know where you are. They know your limits. They know what's comfortable for you, your domain, and they tend not to infringe upon it. And that makes them more comfortable and safer because they know don't go that far with whoever because they'll probably bite your head off. Okay, fine. Now, there's a natural barrier, and because of that, I feel more comfortable where I am. You feel more comfortable where you are. We can now have interaction that is on a really easy-to-know basis, and we don't need to infringe upon each other. And that's, that's a good thing. If you don't say anything, and everyone thinks that you're just the guy who gets along with everybody, and nobody, you know, you don't really care, then you're not showing a boundary, and the other people start infringing upon your domain, and then you just either feel like a victim, or you just get depressed, or you just sort of, you know, sort of sleep back into the corner somewhere, and you don't engage. Well, that's not a good solution either. There's a happy medium here, and it's not the, you know, uh, always if somebody punches you just accept the punch and walk away from it no (laughs) you've got to be able to say here's the boundary and don't cross that and then when they do slap them but at some point you've got to be able to express where the boundary is and then back to your smoker story there was a boundary the problem is that person didn't realize that the cigarette smoke they were puffing out into the, o- into the uh, atmosphere was crossing over that boundary and into your world. And because you didn't confront them, they're probably more likely to do it to the next guy. And that's the, that's the downside risk. Sati, you looked like you were going to say something. No, I was just... I'm great, great talk there, Miles. Uh, you know... And I, how many times have we done that? We we just um, you know we, we take it on us because we're the we're the there was this book called Sin Eater that was popular in circles I ran in a long time ago. So you know we're the we're the trash bin of the group. People can dump on us. You know the the man at work gets frustrated, comes home, yells at the wife, wife yells at the kid, kid goes outside and kicks the dog. So you know it's you know. Somebody's got to be the dog of the group, but at what point do we, by not saying, Hey, quit trying to run over me, you know, we, we set that person because now we've told that person who we didn't confront when what they did affected us, Hey, what you're doing is okay. I don't have a problem with it. So later when somebody does finally confront, I've been doing this here for two years and you're the first person that ever said anything. Why don't you shut up? Because none of these other people are like you and everybody's thinking, 
finally somebody said something, but look at that person. They're not going to change. Well, we've taught them not to change. Um, you know, you can't let somebody do something every day for, you know, a a year, a decade or whatever. And then one day say, Hey, what you're doing is not okay. Oh, and by the way, it hasn't been okay for five years. I just didn't want to tell you before now. Well, then that's your fault because you've told that person by not saying you don't like it, that what you're doing is okay. If I had a problem with it, I would let you know. Which is why we have the president we have. Everything you just said, is why we have the president we have. For for decades, the country has not told politicians that what they're doing is not okay, so they've continued to do it, and and it just there you go. That's the the microcosm the uh, became the microcosm uh, right there, and we we live in a society of people who've never been told no, right? But then let's flip that coin around. How do you feel when somebody in traffic? blows their horn at you because you were just about to cut them off for me i'm like oh no i'm that guy i just became that guy i hate it when i'm that guy oh i'm sorry i do the little wave the wave of contrition you know that's supposed to make everything okay um and what i tell my kids is it was my turn everybody's a jerk once in a while today was my turn you know uh and so i can't get too mad at those other people because they're just getting their turn you know it's their turn um it's it's when you get more than your fair share of turns then somebody has to say something And it's like, you know, I'll be driving down and somebody will do something and I'll say, how dare you act like I do every day? I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's like I start to go off on somebody from the safety of my car in my little mini cone of invulnerability. And all of a sudden it's like in mid thought, how dare you do what I just did? Oh, okay. I'm going (laughs) to slow down and let that person get way far ahead of me. So. Miles, what do you do when you're that guy? I, I'm very apologetic. Um, and that's a cultural thing. I think Australians inherited the English gene on that one. Uh, we're very much about not trying to infringe upon other people and to make everybody feel better than we are. And you know, that that's just in our nature. Um, it's a, it's not healthy. Uh, at some point, too much of that becomes really painful. And then what I do is I go to the gym and I work out for an hour and I just walk out with a you know, bucket of sweat poured old, over me and hopefully by then I feel less stressed and I can get on to back to normal again. But if I didn't, I'll tell you what, if I didn't have uh, physical exertion like gym workouts to get rid of that stress, oh my gosh, my wife would have left me years ago. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> seriously, I can be a real tyrant. Um, but thankfully I can, I know at what point I need to de-stress and I know how to do it. So thankfully it doesn't involve alcohol and drugs. <laughs> the words of the great philosopher Rodney King, can't we all just get along? Um, <laughs> how did that uh, work out for you, Rodney? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jinda in the chat room is pointing out that, uh, you know, society is changing in different ways. He says that as his work is health insurance is actively trying to dis, uh, to reduce the number of people that smoke. Um, and yeah, I definitely, uh, I, the, I work for a hospital system. And so every, every place is, is a no smoking facility. Uh, every piece of property they own. We work in a building, however, that we don't own. We lease floors of it. And so the floor, uh, the building has no smoking and, and uh, smoking designated zones. And for some reason, the smoking zones are always right next to the front door. 
Um, I don't know under, understand why that is, but I think it is you. You do have to realize that the world is changing, and and, and so like Jinda pointed out that there's there's going to be um, uh, regulatory changes. We're already seeing that. Miles, you started off saying that you know in California you pretty much can't smoke anywhere. Uh, in in Europe you have to be you have to go into the cone of silence uh, to smoke. So there's regulatory changes there. There's uh, there's financial. You, know, you 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 were ready to fire somebody. Uh, for smoking, right? So there's there's kind of there's repercussions like that. Uh, but then also the the conversation that we've been having about um, the society being unwilling to shout down the loudmouth, right? So that there are consequences to that. Uh, and this, you know, that's the nature of a society. There's they're they're always evolving. The rules are always changing, and you're always part of the system. Uh, everything you do affects everybody else, and that's kind of why I wanted to have this discussion. Was I knew that it was going to go into much more. Um, or at least I hoped that it would go into much more directions. It could have just been no mark, you're wrong, shut up. Okay, now let's look at the news. Um, but I had hoped we could draw out some nuanced conversation because this is a microcosm of what every culture in every, you know, we've, we've been talking about uh, uh, uniquely American uh, sort of things because we're all uh, uh, Americans. Uh, but, you know, we have an international audience. Uh, I, I, understand, I know what you're saying, that in other parts of the world, smoking is much more uh, uh, pre- prevalent. And, and in this country, it was some years ago. But the, the key thing here to pay attention to is not that it's not about smoking. It's not about anything. It's about society. It's about culture, and it's about understanding your place in it. Um, you know, and I would like to challenge this audience: uh, how 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 beneficial could we be? H- how much could we change the world for the better if we decided that the five thousand or so people who regularly listen to this show decided that we would make a de- concerted effort to make sure that we esteemed those around us as as more than ourselves, and that we made an effort to never elevate ourselves inappropriately uh, among those around us. That that's the kind of thing that could you know could be world changing if five thousand people did it, and then another five thousand paid attention, uh, and then another five thousand followed suit. You know we could start multiple meaningful change across the world right now. I mean we are the world. We are. I'm sorry. I just I, I lapsed into that sort of thing there, but we really could right here from the, the this uh, this podcast right here. We could change the world if we all just started paying a little more attention. And I really think that's all it comes down to. The smoker didn't pay attention or didn't care. You yeah. know, but I'm going to give yeah, her the right. benefit of the doubt. It, empathy is a two-way street. It Just as much as you have empathy for somebody else, you expect it in return. And we, we use in the United States, the term is respect. And what people don't realize is respect is a two-way street. You have to earn it by giving it. And then when you don't, get, you try and get a free ride and think, I deserve it, but I don't have to give it. Well, you don't deserve it. And your rights of respect should be taken away from you at that point. At some point, if we start giving respect to others and we're a little more accommodating and we're a little more willing to embrace people who might think differently or, you know, whatever into the world, but we expect it back, that's fine. But if we don't get it back, there's no reason why we can't call somebody on that. Um, as long as you're willing... Look, confrontation is not something that... Um, you know, us nerds typically do that much. You know, we don't. We, 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 we'll, it's easier for us to slither back to the keyboard and just to type than it is to actually engage in positive human conversation sometimes. Um, I know for me, I, when I was a kid, I was the shortest kid in my school year for most of my, uh, at least up through elementary school. And 
I was always the kid that the bigger ones could use as a way to prove their prowess. They could come to me and go, well, we're going to try and beat up on him. So at a very, very young age, I think I was like four, I learned how to punch people. And it was not really all that good with him. Oh, Miles got sent home from kindergarten again because he punched somebody. You know, well, no, I was in pure self-defense mode, but my immediate reaction was get anywhere near me and whack. And this happened all the way through until I think the last time I remember doing that, I was about 13 years old. And I managed to get through all of school as the smallest kid, the shortest kid, all the way through unscathed because any time there was a threat, I would immediately attack. And today, I tend to incorporate that in my daily life now. I can get through all moments where there is duality of respect and empathy in both ways. And I can live with that without a problem. But the second that changes, I go into into my eight-year-old self again. And, I, you know, thankfully, I haven't been thrown in jail for assault but at the same but I you know I don't punch physically anymore I do address I do confront and it does make a lot of people around me uncomfortable when it happens but I don't do it unless I get pushed to the very limit and I I don't know if that's a nerd behavior or it's just my weird psychosis I don't know it's probably a little of both (laughs) yeah I mean we all have breaking points it's just that you have to know where that is Yep. If it makes you feel any better, it's not a whole lot better being the biggest guy in class because every new kid wants to take you on to to establish themselves. Yeah, that, so I got in, true. I get in a lot that's more true. fights as the big guy uh, than the little guys ever did. I, I won most yeah, of them. Good point. But you know that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how to end this, and I certainly don't know how to lead into uh, uh, a conversation that ends up with one of our news stories um so but here's i'll go into to Seth's thing here about uh uh neural networks teaching itself maybe the computers will do better at this than we will once we turn our our brains over to our our machine overlords maybe all these problems will go away because it turns out they're already better at software coding than we are well uh yeah but there's a lot of caveats to that. So there was this, um, <laughs> I think we covered it a while back, maybe a year or more ago. This group of programmers taught this, um, you know, AI how to play the game Go, um, a game I've played a couple of times, but I would not consider myself anything other than a rank amateur in it. But the way they taught the computer how to play it was by having the computer analyze the way humans did it. And then after a while, the computer was enabled to beat the humans all the time. So this other group of people said, Hey, what if we cut humans out and just had the computer teach itself how to play go? So what they did was they set up two instances and fed the rules to each one and then had them play each other. And then they noticed that after, um, you know, after like 40 days or whatever. But anyway, the thing is they were able to get to the point to where they could beat humans and beat that previous generation AI, um, in just a few days time. And so the thing was, it was talking about how AI can like cut humans out of the learning process and get to the end result faster. But one of, of course, the caveats that this article talks about is it's only, it's only good in like specific subsets, you know, go has 
um, specific rules, right, wrong. And it's not like something that they're like becoming our robot overlords. That's obviously complex and very nuanced and take a few generations of development probably to get there. But it was deep mind was the, um, AI they talk about probably some, uh, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fans yes. in there in the creation of that somewhere. But so um, AlphaGo was the original one that they yeah. trained humans trained it and it beat uh, a Go Grandmaster like a, a year or so ago. It was a, it was a big news. So AlphaGo um, and I'm I'm picking and choosing things here. It had uh, roughly 48 times the processing power of DeepMind, and AlphaGo had been trained by uh, by people and and. Uh, it, it watched humans play games. It, uh, humans played against it. It trained it. Uh, the uh, deep mind uh, had taught itself for three days, and when they put the two things together, forty times more processing power, uh, it beat the the new one beat the old one by a hundred games to zero. And by day twenty five, um, it started. Uh, it got even better. And at day forty, it was it was just beating everything every time. Uh, uh, both humans yeah, and I machines. Mean, yeah. So I, anyway, it was, this was just an interesting article about the state of AI. And of course, you know, from, you know, watching if you're Blake seven with ORAC or if you're Star Trek, the next generation with data, you know, sentient computers who have emotions and thought complexes and all of that. This isn't what AI is today. Um, AI is remarkably fast algorithms that answer a bunch of yes, no questions and mimic intelligence calling into question the nature of what intelligence is. So anyway, this was, uh, yeah, deep mind is it's deep and it's a mind and it's a neural net (laughs) created. And like I say, this is, this is kind of groundbreaking because previous, you know, Deep Blue, um, you know, obviously that was, they were modeling human games to it to get it to where it could be a grandmaster in chess. Um, and you know, the one you talked about, uh, AlphaGo, they analyze human games, but Deep, uh, Deep Mind uses, used another Deep Mind setup to learn how to play. So interesting in that it was able, you know, and so they were able to play, uh, where was it up in here? They could play, uh, they can make a move moves in like half a second. So, you know, they're obviously able to simulate games much faster and get the results much faster. And, you know, and then humans looking at the games afterwards going, wait a minute, we don't recognize what's going on here because we would, you know, it was just kind of, you know, got the human out of it in favor of just the pure numbers. So interesting. And so interesting. This is, this is a, a very small subset, but that's how things start. You know, um, I, I used the phrase a while back that we found that the the best way to create artificial intelligence is to have a lot of dumb machines. So instead of having a single super intelligence, we're finding out that the best way to get things done is to have a bunch of dumb machines instead of one smart machine. Um, and so this right. is a machine that plays, plays uh, Go really well. It solved that. You turn that same thing into, you know, um, optimal you know, uh, loading of aircraft and just let it try every possible combination, eventually the machine will solve that problem. Well, if you if you chain together enough single-purpose machines, you do eventually have cyber uh, Skynet, you know, uh, and that's, that's the way we're going. Skynet is not going to be uh, a single machine that is smarter than everything else. It's going to be a collection of machines that do one thing really well. That's my prediction for the future. Yep. Yeah, none I'll of us is as that. dumb as all of us. 
And it'll be the ultimate Skynet human killer. Skynet is a protocol. Yeah. And once it figures out that it wants to just, to wipe out uh, planets, it'll figure out the uh, wipe, wipe humans off the planet. They've got the alt- optimal way to do that, and it probably won't be uh, rubber skin over machines because that was just laughable. It'll probably mandate texting while driving that will do it. <laughs> <laughs> you were fined for not texting while you were operating your motor vehicle. Well, see, driving, that's another an thing. IPhone. I'm, Go ahead, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, my wife has an iPhone and she got some iOS update, I think a week or so ago. And now every time she gets in the car, even if she's a passenger, the, com- the phone says, we've detected that you're driving in a car. We will not let you text. It's like, welcome to the nanny state. Thanks, Apple. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but when you there's n- yeah, go ahead, Mark. So driving is an interesting example of where there is a right way to do it. And there is a best way to do it. And when you take all the, the human egos out, everybody thinks they're in a race. We will have an AI perfect driving in the near future. The question is, will the humans trust it enough to let it do it? Because you can't have some people running on the smart machines and some people deciding they're going to do it themselves. But when every machine, every car on the road is is, uh, um, controlled by an AI that has perfected driving, that's that's my, my version of Nirvana. That'll be amazing. Road rage on robots. <laughs> yeah. Then the one hacker with the EMP gun that is, det- you know, so that's all it's going to take then. <sighs> yeah, but, whatever. EMPs are not as, but, not all that big a deal. Well, no, but you know, there's the, the uh, LIDAR spoofing or whatever. So the car is driving down the road at 60 miles an hour. And then you use your gun to simulate a human walking in front of it, you know, and the AI is trained to always avoid the human, even if it puts peril to the human in the car, then it swerves out of the way and, you know, creates a chain reaction ending Western civilization as we know it. The perfect driving algorithm will kill people. Because sometimes that's the best decision possible. Yep. And then, you know, you come to find out that when the person who wrote that portion of the algorithm had been smoking a joint because marijuana (laughs) was legal in his state, then, you know, they go back in time and see that 87 people have died as a result of his algorithm that would have lived otherwise. And that's 87 counts of manslaughter. I mean, tell me that's not a lawsuit waiting to happen. Seth, you are a master of turning utopia into dystopia. It's amazing. Humans are a master of turning <laughs> utopia into dystopia. I simply let the good times roll. Yeah, the fact is the future will neither be Star Trek nor uh, will it be, um, you know, the fifth element. It'll be somewhere in between. Uh, they, it will neither be Blade Runner <laughs> nor Star Wars. There, there will be good and bad. It's not going to be utopia. It's not going to be dystopia. It's just going to be people screwing things up faster and more efficiently. It's going to be Hunger Games, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Having, I, I don't know how to end with that, but I promised <laughs> Seth we'd do to lose some news. So we got one news story in there. And now, Seth, tell us what happened this week in history. All right, Mark. So... Hey, move your cursor. You're blocking the day. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, That's not All right, me. Mark. On October the 21st, 1969, 
the first ARPNET link was put into service. So ARPNET was an early computer network development developed by a bunch of different people uh, who worked for... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just didn't want to read all of those names because I, I'm bad at reading names. Um, and other researchers for the U.S. Department of Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency on as DARPA. It connected a computer at UCLA with a computer at the Stanford Research Institute Um so that happened this week in history. And now, Mark, back to you. That's where it all began. It's where Skynet began. Um, two machines. It was actually four machines. It was two machines and then two interpreter uh, called IMPs. I uh, forget what IMPs. It was IMP. forget what it stood for. But it took two machines to speak um, the interpreted language between the two other machines. But yeah, 1969. Um, we walked on the moon. We built the internet, and then we pretty much gave up and started making smartphone apps. So this I is the part of the show is. where I tell you how you can interface tell me what you think. Interface message protocol processor. Sorry. Thank interface you. Interface message, message processor. processor. Imp. Awesome. Thank you, Seth. The ever quick Googler. Uh, go to elementop.com. Hey, click the driving. contact us button at the top of the page and uh, tell us what you think. Uh, are we all a bunch of whiners? Are we... Well, I guess that was a given. Um, tell us something other than that. What is your thoughts on you know anything we've talked about? Uh, smoking, uh, smokers' rights, uh, gay rights, the rights of humanity in general. Should we all be stripped of nothing and, and let the machines take over? Um, you know, or uh, is meekness a weakness? What do you think? There are lots of things we've talked about in this show, and you can click the contact us button at the top of the page, fill out the the form there, and let us know what you think. Or you can send an email to uh, geekrant at elementop.com or dial 559-IAMOP and leave us a Google voice message. Uh, Let us know what you think. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. And now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity, thus making you seem like a better hiring option? Well, before I go there, Mark, I just want to mention, I've yet to hear anybody say um, if people have more rights than snakes or snakes have more rights than people. Still waiting on that feedback, guys. Come on. But anyway, Mark, I want to... this. Uh, website will help you live life in balance. So this is a game and it requires flash and you just simply have to balance stuff that comes out of the sky and then, you know, and there's hooks and all this other kind of thing. It's just a time waster kind of game. So uh, levers have fun trying to keep the scale balanced and you know, I try to stay away from alchemy. Uh, It does have an ocean at the bottom. So maybe this will, I know how much you love the stuff I have with oceans in it. So, I did finally give up on clicking that stupid drop. One day my machine rebooted for software updates, and when I came back the next day, I was like, I just don't care anymore. And so <laughs> the oceans are going unfilled. Sorry, alien planets. All right, I, I've run out of things to say. Roughly 15 minutes ago, I ran out of things to say, but I've been talking ever since. Uh, so we'll just say goodnight. Uh, Miles, you are, when next, next we speak to you, you will be 14 time zones away, right? I will be talking to you from the future, yeah. Awesome. I'll be a day ahead. Let us know how that goes. Isn't that, isn't that weird? Yeah. yeah, I can give you the lottery numbers if you need them. Yeah, every every New Year's Day, I ask my Australian friends, you know, what's the future look like? How are we doing? Uh, particularly like in, in uh, Y2K. I mean, literally, I did that early that morning. I, I uh, in, uh, talked to some of my friends through instant message or email and said, you know, everything going okay over there? <laughs> the future, future all right? Can we go into the year 2019? We're doing okay? So you'll just have to let us know. Um, I think it is. 
I think 15 is right. 15 hours between Eastern and, and Central, uh, Eastern U.S. and Central Australia, something like that. So uh, depending yeah, on the time I, zones. I did a check today to try to work out what a recording time is, and I realized that at 7.30 Eastern, your time, it is 10 a.m. the next day where I'll be. Okay. So it's not a problem for me. Yeah, I mean, you self-employed millionaires can take off in the middle of the day like that, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> there is that, yeah. And it'll be Monday morning, right? It will. Yeah, it'll be yeah. Monday morning. Everyone will be at work except me. I'll be podcasting like it's Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the, uh, there really couldn't be any more lag than there was tonight, uh, even traveling all around the world, so I think we'll be just fine. Um so we look well, forward I'll to tell talking you to you firsthand how the how the new national broadband network in Australia works because I'll be we'll be pumping data over to you guys from it. All so right. let's hope that it's uh, it's live and kicking. So the government yeah. <laughs> brought to you by the the Australian government. Awesome. Yep. Yep. Uh, it'll probably put us to shame. Um, so that means that we'll be able to say that the government of Australia officially supports our show. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> sure. Let's go with that. Marketing speak. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I uh, hope it wasn't entirely boring, um, but uh, whatever. I've got the mic. You don't deal with it. Uh, if you like what we do, please tell other people about it. If you don't like what we do, keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody. Um, um, that, there have been a couple of people uh, like this year, and I'm not kidding, like two people in the year 2018 have left reviews on iTunes for us. Really? That's the best we can do? Really? <laughs> Come on. Go go, do something useful. Go to iTunes, leave us a review. I think we've got 65 reviews for the five years we've done this show. The Most of them are five star. Thank you for that. But really? 65 reviews in in almost six years? I'm, I'm, in, I'm ashamed of you. I, I'm, not, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Isn't that what your dad used to say? Mm-hmm. Um, so that would that would seriously be a big help. Uh, and of course, throwing money, money at us is never a bad thing, too. Particularly Bitcoin these days, as it's going up. You, if you have a spare Bitcoin you'd like to give me, I'll take it. I promise. Um, so we'll talk to you later. We'll see you next week and from Australia. But that's it for this episode of the Geek Camp. Remember, pay for what you like. <laughs> <laughs>